pleasure to be here. I, I always have warm feelings whenever I come to Oregon. I only come like every three or four years. Um, it was, yes, as he said, it was 30 years ago that I felt this calling to plant a church in Russia. I had been there. It was shortly after the breakup of the Soviet Union. And, um, and somehow in the, in the coming year, I got connected with pastors up here in Oregon, uh, the pastor of this church and the pastor of another church in Portland that felt that same calling to plant a church in Russia. And it was this, this providence of God, and it led me to come up here. And I, uh, they joined with me, and they sent me to Russia in 1994 to pastor a church. As a result, we, there's one, two churches that I was pastoring. Also, two men went out from the churches that we pastored, and they started Calvary chapels there. There's a large number of Calvary chapels there in Russia, and I'm privileged to be a part of it. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much um, for your support. Probably most, many of you don't even know me, but, but uh, you, you have supported me. I know they have prayed for us, and I'm very grateful for you enabling me to answer the calling of the Lord. And I'm grateful to uh, Pastor Ryan for allowing me to share with you this morning. I'm grateful to Mike and Sue Carroll, who are hosting us in their home this week. And it's just a thrill to be here. I hope I can, I hope I can speak okay, because I'm not used to speaking in English. So, um, so if I let out a Russian word, or if I, if I say um too many times, you'll, you'll forgive me. I'll get right to it. You know, I, I live in a, in a place that is, uh, gosh, I'm kind of, I got to get, I got to get, get my wiggles out here. I, uh, <laughs> I, really feel, I really feel special about the people here and, and, and these churches, this church and the other church. You know, I have family in, in California. They, they, uh, they, they're Christians and, and, you know, but, and I have churches down there and individuals down there that support us too. But it was you guys that believe in us. They actually, my family actually tells me, when are you coming back from there? These are Christians. No, you don't need to be there. If I listened to everybody down there in California, um, I wouldn't have gone to Russia. But it was you, you know, that the Lord used to send me there. And every time I come here, I'm reminded of that. Because it's not easy to stay in a place for 29 years. And uh, what makes me stay there for that long? Well, it's the Lord. It's the power of a calling. And I want to get into that day. But, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard place in many ways. I'm not going to really... I know there's a lot of controversy in the news today about Russia. I'm not going to really... Maybe I'll get into that in a private moment. But there's something else that always made it difficult for me there, and that is the rampant unbelief. Um, you don't know what a spiritual paradise you have living here in the United States. I know there's problems with the church here, but the, the number of Christians here is just so refreshing. It's, there is a place where a very small percentage of the believers are evangelical Christians. And, and it always troubled me because I figured if God is God, why can't he just work the same anywhere in the world? But there are different factors and, and, and we also, as Christians, we go through these times of doubt, and we know people that have fell away from the faith. So we're going to talk a little bit today about why do some people not believe, and why do others doubt? Now, doubting is probably pretty natural for everybody. It's not really a bad thing. I, we have doubts because, you know, we are to live by faith, and, you know, our flesh acts up. But why do people sometimes fall away? And... My example today 
is the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish religious leaders. Now, when you think about it, if there's anybody that should have believed, if there's anyone that had it easy to believe, it would be the Jewish religious leaders, right? Of the Jewish people. They actually saw God because a lot of people say, well, I can't believe because I haven't seen God. You know, I how do I know? It's, he's not visible. We have all these, these things. We have to live by faith, and that's a difficult thing. But they, in their history, saw God. They, they experienced him. And especially the people that lived on the earth at the time that Jesus was walking on the earth, they saw his, him do miracles. And of all the people that saw him do miracles, the Jewish leaders knew the scriptures. They knew that Jesus was fulfilling scriptures about the Messiah. Um, um, uh, and Jesus kind of like was vague sometimes as he, as he talked to people. He would kind of like let them come to the conclusion that he's Messiah. He wouldn't directly say it so much, as you know, that he's the Messiah. He would let them come to that conclusion. And, but, you know, he didn't want to excite them too early because, you know, he had to go to the cross, and that was a whole other thing. Um, but he did say on occasion that he is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And the Jewish leaders saw this. The Jewish leaders knew this. We need to understand they weren't ignorant of this. They knew the scriptures. They knew what Jesus was saying. We know this very well because right after the death of Jesus, they went to the Roman governor and they asked for you know, a, a guard to be put on the tomb because that deceiver told, told, said that after three days, he's going to rise again. Oh, if they don't believe in him, if he's, not, if he's a deceiver, what do you worry about that? They thought he might rise again. Everything he said came to pass. Can you imagine they, they actually said, he might rise, let's put a guard on the tomb so they won't steal his body. They, they, they had no, you know, even the disciples did not recognize that. He, you know, they, I mean, Jesus told them, but even the disciples did not get it that he would rise again after three days. I mean, but, but see, this is the thing that's really interesting today as we talk about these Jewish leaders. They knew all this. They were not ignorant Yet, they never believed in him. And that always fascinates I think I have the answer in part to why. They had a false authority governing them. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't call it false. I would say an improper authority. It's something, I'm going to talk about three authorities today. I'm going to talk about three authorities that govern people, um, govern people's lives, and it causes them to maybe not believe in God. These are authorities that in relation to uh, believing in God. And these authorities, people put in too high of a place. I'm not going to say they're false. They have their role. They have their purpose, these authorities. But we cannot put them in the highest place when it comes to God. The highest, when it comes to God, the highest place is God himself and his word. And as Christians, we need to recognize and come to that place where God's word or God's authority is the highest one as it relates to our faith, okay, as to why we believe. And now the scene here is, the, is in Jerusalem. The day before, Jesus has this, uh, I guess it's the day before, the triumphal entry, you know, and, and everybody's welcoming him. And he goes in and he cleanses the temple. This is a, a major radical act. He, he um, destroys their, their, you know, their, their marketplace and all the things they were doing in corruption. And it says from that point onward, he taught people would come to him, the blind, the lame, the beggar. They came to him, and he taught every day in that temple court. He wouldn't let them sell their stuff. This was a week before Passover. He wouldn't let them sell their stuff, and he was teaching the people. This was, and this was, this was so precious because this is what 
they should have been doing. And this was a court of the Gentiles where even the Gentiles could come and see God. This was the week before Passover. And um, so he, he demonstrated great authority in this place. This is the time that he, he usually avoided Jerusalem, but he came there, and he's right in their headquarters, right under their noses, teaching the people, preventing them from running this corrupt marketplace. And you say, how could he get away with that? Well, the people were kind of like supportive of him. So the Jews had a plan. They said, well, you know what? We, we'd love to kill him right now, but we can't because the people are all here. They kind of support him. It, you know, we can't do it. So they, they came up with this idea, let's go challenge him. We got to discredit him in front of these people. They came up with questions, and, and by the nature of these questions, they felt that they had the right answer, and Jesus was trapped. Remember, when they asked these questions today, they felt that they knew the right answer, and Jesus was trapped because Jesus could, could not answer these questions, or, or, or he would, they would discredit him in front of the people. So let's begin... In Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, now this is the next day after he cleansed it. I'm sorry if I have to bend down here. I, sometimes I have trouble, like, you know, reading it, and sometimes I don't. I should have brought a, I should have brought a bigger Bible. <laughs> and, when, and, and when he entered the temple... Chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what, by what authority do, are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus' answer is interesting. Matthew 21, 24. Jesus, I will also ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? And they argued. Uh, let's see, I'm losing my place here. And they argued with one another. If we say from men, we are afraid of the multitude, for they hold John as a prophet. Okay. Now, John had a unique baptism. Jesus is talking about his baptism. John baptized people for the repentance of sins. Okay. Now the Jews would only would baptize converts to Judaism, but John he just. You know, they didn't recognize his authority. He was baptizing Jews and Gentiles. It was a different kind of baptism, to, preparing for the Messiah. So um, here's the thing. All the people respected John. Everybody loved John. Everybody respected it. They thought he was from God. Uh, and Jesus asked, well, what do you think? Was it from heaven? Was he from God? Or was it from men? Now, that, now the Jewish religious leaders did not believe it was from God. They, they, they despised John. They, 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 I don't know if they publicly said it, but they rejected John. So the answer they should answer Jesus right now is, no, it's not from heaven. Um, and Jesus said, well, tell me what it is, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And so they had to have, okay, here's the thing. He asked them a simple question. They have to gather together and figure out what's the answer. <laughs> now, this is a problem here. To them, what's the truth? The truth is, well, just tell the truth. You don't believe it. They can't do that because, you see, Okay, if we say yes, it was, then the people are against us, you know. But if we say no, then, um, wait a minute, if we say yes? If we say yes, Jesus will say, why didn't you believe it? If we say no, then the people will be against us. So what do we say? It's like, this is a problem when 
you, you have to decide what the answer is. And, and I'm going to talk about this today because we have to deal with truth when it comes to God. When it comes to God, they didn't want to deal with truth. Both answers were dangerous for them. So they came up with a safe answer, a beneficial answer to themselves. We don't know. Is that what it says here? <laughs> now, that's not the truth, but it's safe, isn't it? Um, see, it's, they knew the truth here. They knew that John was from God, even though they didn't believe. Or even they can, say, they can say the truth is, I don't believe John was from God. But they won't, they won't apply it to their life. They have to think, how can I, how can I do something for my benefit? You know, um, and, it, and this is a problem with people. Um, we can recognize the truth, but it's uncomfortable. So we don't follow it. We don't believe in it. We, we, we try to make excuses. We go someplace else, and we ignore truth. Now, this is a very dangerous thing to do, especially when it comes to God. Um, well, I'll, let me go back to what Jesus says here. Jesus answered them. Okay, they answered Jesus, we don't know. Now, here's Jesus' response to them, Matthew 21, 27. Okay, well, you got the wind here. Okay, okay. We don't know. And he said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Why did Jesus say that? Why didn't Jesus say, I have the authority of the Father and everything? Because, see, the, he recognized that they don't recognize truth. They don't, they don't make truth, you know, what it is. Um, and he also demonstrated numerous times while he was doing his miracles that he was from God, he was truth, but they did not recognize it. They understood it, but they didn't, they didn't believe in it. There's a big difference in those two things. You know, there are many things that... And so, and so what Jesus would say was, if I told you, if I told you that I came from the Father... You won't believe me because you don't believe truth. You've already made your decision about John. You don't think that John came from God. And if I said, I came from God, what do you say? No, that's not true. See, it doesn't matter if I tell you it. You won't accept it. What good is me to tell you the truth? You know, you ask me a question, but you don't want the answer or you don't want to accept the answer. And so Jesus is, is seeing here there is a problem with them, and this is why they don't believe. You know, when it comes to truth, I always, this is the way my brain works, I always thought, if I discover something as being true, I'm going to follow that thing. I'm going to, I'm, even if it's uncomfortable. There are many truths that we have in our life. This is true, that is true, this is true. And they can be very uncomfortable. And, um, but you have to follow it because what happens? What, what, what do we know about the truth? It'll come to pass. There's no, there, you know, if something is true, it's, it's, you can't just, it's not going to go away. It's going, it's, it's going to come to pass. You know, someone can say, well, I have this disease, you know, and, and it's a serious disease, and, and barring, uh, you know, healing, you know, the person, a person that says, well, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to, it didn't, I do not have this disease. I don't believe it, even though the doctor told her that. Okay, see, what's going to happen? That disease is going to affect their body, maybe even kill them. And no, see, they're, they're denying what is true because they don't like it. This is a big problem um, with a lot of people because it, I'm going to call it a form of authority that governed them. I'm going to call this the authority of your own desires 
and goals. This is the first, what I would say, as, as false authority. Not false authority, but it's the improper authority when it comes to God. And what is, and what is that exactly? Well, the highest authority in my life is me, myself, and what I believe, what I want. You know, we have these desires, we have these, these goals, and the Jewish leaders, you say, well, why, did, why were they, even though they saw all these miracles, why would they not accept Jesus? I'll tell you why, and we'll see some scriptures on it. They, it meant the end of their position as leaders. You know, the Messiah was going to come and, and be the new leader of Israel, and um, they wanted, they loved their position, and nothing will take us away from this position. We do, they saw Jesus do miracles. No, we don't want the Messiah right now, at least not this Messiah, because that means, you know, the gig is up. We have to, like, you know, submit to him, and, and now we can't be the leaders of Israel. I mean, you say, like, that's crazy. They loved it. They loved their position, and you say, that's, why would you, because you say, why would they just ignore what could be God? In fact, I'm going to show you later, they might have even known and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they still rejected him. It's almost like satanic. Why? They want what they want. And you know people today? Do you know people today? I want what I want. Well, wait, you can't get that, and that's really contrary to the truth. I want what I want. And, they, and there's something that comes over our minds, and we can be blinded by that desire. My goal, my goal. And this is a big factor with, a, with many Christians, with many unbelievers, is to they never achieve, they never come to the place of true faith in God because it's not, because, you know, I, I don't want to live by faith and all this stuff, and I want what I want. And God, and I pray to God, and I want this. God doesn't give me what I pray for. Therefore, oh, I can't believe in him anymore. Well, this is a problem. Um, Jesus illustrates this in a, in a parable. I'm going to skip this parable. I might come back to it, but I'm going to go to verse 33, chapter 21. Now, this is specifically to the Pharisees, and you're going to see you're going to see their false desire. I mean, their desire is how it overcomes even what they know as the truth. Uh, 21, verse 33. Here another parable, Jesus says, There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went to another country. Now, we know the vineyard is Israel. The householder is God. The tenants are the leaders of Israel, we can say. He planted, he set a hedge, he dug a wine press and a top. He provided everything for them. We know how God blessed Israel. He provided everything for him and uh, all showing his care and protection to help them bring forth fruit. That's what he wanted from them, as God wants from all his people to bring forth fruit. And, he le- and it says he let this vineyard out to tenants. Okay, okay it's God's vineyard. It's God's church. It's God's kingdom. But we are his stewards, like these Jewish leaders were the stewards. They were not owners. They were stewards. And when the householder returns, he expects to, pre- he expects a, pre- okay, this is like, the, he would expect a percent of the harvest. He would expect to have some fruit. He provided everything, and this is natural. That's why verse 34 says, when the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Well, this is normal. Verse 35, 
And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Now, this is really weird. This is really unusual. You know, we, we we're familiar with this parable, but do you realize how unusual this is that you would have a tenant, you know, and not only do they not give a fruit, they, they kill the people that are come to collect it. I mean, some of you guys, you know, rent out places maybe. These are bad renters, you know. <laughs> this is the story. This is the story of the Old Testament prophets, you know. And the Jews rejected them. They even killed some of them. Okay, verse 37. Now, this really blows me. Afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. What? Well, maybe, maybe he thought, well, you know, okay, they didn't believe the prophets. Maybe when they see Jesus come and perform these signs and everything, they will do that. He was giving them another chance. They will respect my son. Now, what father would do that after what happened to the servants? You know, well, I guess he really loves them. And Jesus, of course, came. 38, well, what did they do? But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. They recognized something in him. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. Again, this is what they wanted. They wanted the power in Israel. They wanted to be lords over Israel. This Messiah is coming and, you know, They say that he's supposed to be the Lord over Israel, but that's not going to go with us. We're going to make, you know, they actually recognize. I don't know if they really recognize Jesus, but we know Satan did. And they're speaking like Satan here. Let's kill him and the inheritance would be ours. That's exactly what Satan thought too, right? Let's kill Jesus and I can overcome this plan of God against me. Did they think they could get away with that? Can you imagine that? Let's kill him. Oh, nothing's going to happen. We'll just kill him. And then it will be all ours, you know? We'll own this place. This is what they wanted. Verse 40. You know, uh, verse 40, chapter... God, oh, the wind keeps blowing this. Okay, the, um, it's okay. Don't, don't, don't worry. I, I know it's better to be cool than hot. Okay. <laughs> when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? Now, Jesus asked him a good question because, you know... You know, you guys see the situation, and this is like parables are like normal situations that would happen in Israel. You know, have, have you guys, he's actually asking the Pharisees, what do you think about this? Can you imagine a, a situation where you have these tenants and they would do this? And, and they're saying, that, and look, they even answer him. They said to him, oh, he will put to death those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them fruits in their season. That is their answer. This is what should happen. You know, and Jesus is like, look, that's you guys. <laughs> they didn't know it yet, yet. Um, verse 41. Okay, okay. They answered the question as any rational person would do. Of course they wouldn't get away with that. They knew. Of course you don't get away with such a thing as that. Yet this is exactly what they were thinking about Jesus. How did, why would they think this way about Jesus? They were planning to kill him. And did they think they would get away with it before the eyes of God to murder a man? See, um, again, this is the power of that thinking. It can deceive us. It can overcome us. The thinking that says the highest authority in your life is yourself and your own desires and your own goals. They would do anything to preserve their power and position. It was almost, I don't even know what was going on in their mind. I can't even imagine this kind of attitude. Because, I, like I said, I cannot, I cannot 
function in such a way that I would deny the truth so, so blatantly like that. But here, there's another scripture. You don't have to go there, but if you want to. John chapter 11. I want to show you what they, how they were thinking. John chapter 11, verse 47. Now, this is right after Lazarus was raised from the dead, a few days before Jesus came into Jerusalem. And everyone's holding him, but the Pharisees, you know, Lazarus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, John eleven forty seven, 47, gathered together, gathered to counsel and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Well, if he performs many signs, why don't you believe in him? <laughs> they acknowledge he performed many signs. Yeah. Well, maybe he's the Messiah. What are we to do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, yeah, maybe you should too. Everybody's believing him that he's a Messiah. He's performing these signs. What's wrong with that? And, and the Romans will come and destroy our holy place and our nation. Well, yeah, the Romans wouldn't put up with the Messiah, you know, coming and reestablishing his kingdom and all that. But see, destroy our holy place and our nation. That includes, we'll destroy our position here. No, 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 we can't have that. And you say, how can they think this way? After recognizing he performs signs, man, people believe in him, yeah, you know. Well, um, you think that's bad. Okay, okay, verse 53, 53. So from that day they took counsel how to put him to death. That's the answer. Wow. Okay, look at John 12, 9, 11, or if you can hear, listen to me if you don't have to turn there. Um, and then this is later on, you know, um, they went to Lazarus' house. A great crowd of Jews went to Lazarus' house. They learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priest planned to put Lazarus also to death. <laughs> they, he, they, they planned to kill Jesus, and, you know, Lazarus is a, just a... This, that's just bad, you know. He, he's raised from the dead. You know, that's, we got we to eliminate this evidence that he's performing signs. They planned to put Lazarus to death. What did he do? You see, what obsessed these men, what controlled these men, it was that authority. Now, um, I'm going to go back to Matthew 42. I've got I to keep moving here. Matthew 42, I mean, Matthew 21, 42. There, um, Jesus goes on in this parable. Have you never read the scriptures? Every stone which the builders rejected, this is right, has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. You know, when you build a building, especially in those days, um, you first lay down a cornerstone. It was, I don't know if they do it today, but it was in those days, they just had basic brick, rectangular, square buildings and it was very important to have a cornerstone, as I understand it. And then you put the bricks up, and, and you could put the bricks at a right angle. And um, it, will, you know, it has to be laid exactly. It has to be a good cornerstone. It has to be laid exactly, or it'll affect the angle of the corners. And, and you know, the, the roof will be off. Everything will be off if you don't lay the cornerstone properly. I suppose they do something like that today. Um, the Jews rejected, as Jesus says here, that perfect cornerstone, Jesus you know, as they built their faith. These guys still believed in God, but they believed in God as they wanted. See, again, it was my desires, my goals, and this is like many people today. As a result, the whole structure will be off. The whole structure, Jesus is saying, the whole structure of your faith is off because you reject the cornerstone. You build a building without a proper cornerstone, 
it might look okay, but it's, it's off. It's off. He's talking about their spiritual life. And this is the problem with many people who try to, from their own mind and desires, construct their religious belief. I've met so many people in Russia like that. It was, it's very hard because I think this about God. Well, you didn't lay the cornerstone, so your little religion here is off. Jesus says so. Um, see, and okay, let's go on, verse 45 and 46. And the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these, his parable. They perceived he was speaking about them. Now, this is, this is you know, usually, they, usually a parable is like, you know, some kind of story and it's and meant to hide something. And, uh, and, 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 and the people don't get it unless they have ears to hear and eyes to see or whatever. And, but, and usually people just, oh, they just heard some story. But then it dawned on the Pharisees, wait a minute, I, I understand what he's saying here. This is about us. You know, and there's another opportunity for them to say, you know what, he's on, the gig's up, he's on to us now. No, but they, they tried to seize him. Can you believe this? They actually understood the spiritual meaning of the parable. Hey, wait a minute, he's talking about us. Because, you know, how dare he? I mean, I, yes, we are planning to kill him, but, but it's like... It's like <laughs> And they, they tried to arrest him, and they, but, but they feared the moment. They were just going to do it right there, but they couldn't. Okay. I have to go back. Okay, now we're going to go back to Matthew, and let's go to, let's go to the next second authority, Matthew 22, verse 15 through 17. I've got to go fast here. Okay, uh, the Pharisees went and took counsel. How to intend, Okay, this is the next question. Okay, he got them there, and they, they come back with another one. They, they went and took counsel how to entangle him in his talk, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Again, true, true, true. You're true. They don't know nothing about truth. And care for no man. And you do not regard the position of men. Tell us, what, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Um, this is the second authority of, uh, uh, that, that can, people can place improper uh, emphasis on. It is the authority of human governments or the power of other people over us. This can influence us. This can prevent people from following God properly. This can hinder a person's faith. You know, in those days, in those days, the Jews lived under the authority of Rome, as you know. And one part of the population was always resisting Rome. They were already on the verge of revolution. And then there was another part that cooperated and submitted to Rome, they got along with them, and, the, and that's why he mentioned these Herodians here. That's who they are. They liked the situation. They profited from the situation. And in those days, you need to understand that Rome, when you thought about Rome in the days of Jesus, it had already conquered the world and ruled the world for over 200 years. They, everybody thought, everybody thought, everybody thought Rome was forever. Rome was everything. It will be forever. It was this powerful, powerful authority. And even, you know, and so, now if Jesus said pay the taxes, you know, he would have these one half or one part of the people would be against him. Oh, gosh, you know, say they're trying to discredit him in the eyes of the people. And maybe they would not support him. Maybe we can seize him. If he said, no, don't pay the taxes. Oh, wait a minute. I said the wrong, oh, wrong way. If Jesus said, don't pay the taxes, you'd have these people against him. But if he said, pay the taxes, wait a minute, I said this wrong again. <laughs> If he said, don't pay the taxes, then these Herodians here would go to the Romans and he'd get in trouble with the Romans, you see? He's fomenting a rebellion. Gosh, I'm sorry. Now, 
Here's what Jesus says, verse 18, 22. Jesus, aware of their malice, said, what put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the money for the tax. And they brought him a coin, and Jesus said, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. Again, he answered them very well. And they left him and went away. Okay, darn. That's another. Now they'll come back with another question, but he just got them twice. Okay, on the coin is the image of the emperor. It belongs to him. The coin belongs to the government. But also, we have the image of God on us, okay? And we belong to God as human beings. Now, Jesus was saying there is a role for the government. God established human government. It's in the Bible. God established human government. He didn't really say what kind would form a human government or like, you know, there's some that we can say are better than others, but the principle of human government, um, ever since, of course, ever since the flood and what happened in the flood is a God-ordained principle. It's mainly to suppress the sinfulness of men so we can live somewhat, you know, because if everyone was just allowed to be as it was before the flood, people would kill each other, you know? The sinfulness of man could just go unrestrained. So human governments restrain the sinfulness of man, and we're able to live. We're able to live, in, you know, even though we're sinners, even though it's not, it's not perfect. But God ordained human government. You know, you know, I know I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to say too much because this can get really, you know, I, I don't think the pastor would want me to say anything. And um, this will be the last time I teach. But, um, but uh, I just want to say this because I know I'll try to keep this brief. I mean, that's a whole sermon itself, you know. But, uh, you know, you know there, are, there are extremes today among believers, among the church. There's one side that says, they really strongly believe in the power of the government. And, 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 uh, and they also sometimes look at the church and they say it's, it, there's, a, there's a particular political uh, per- persuasion that a lot of people there. So, see, it's a hindrance to them believing. There's another side that doesn't really want much human government. And so we have these, these things and so, what is the role of government? I'm going to speak to both sides, okay? Usually there's extremes. And I'll just say this. Let me see. I've got to go to the right for this one. There is a place. Is this a right? No. There is a, there is a place for human government, okay? God ordained it. We must respect it, okay? It's a role. It's a very, it's a very important role. You know, when I was in Russia, gosh, I hope I have time. Oh, when I was in Russia, I was under severe persecution by the government at one time. They tried to close my church. They tried to kick me out of the country. And I, I, I uh, long story short, I went through a trial. I went through a process, and I won a, a case in court. I exercised, you know, my right to go to court. But one thing I wanted to do, because I felt it in my heart, I did not want to disrespect them. I did not want to condemn them. When I spoke to the members of my church, I hardly spoke about it, and I did not want them to think that their government was bad. Maybe they thought their government was bad, maybe not, but I didn't want, I didn't want them to hear that from me, because they need, I wanted them to hear from me the gospel all the time, and, and how we are to love, and I even preached that they have a role that the government has to play, and you know what? I never, 
I'm, I'm, because God gave me a love for the Russian people, I can't even, I don't even not like the government. I mean, I, mean, I, what was I, say? I don't even, I, like, I, don't, I don't dislike the government. I, I never felt bitterness or angry for them. They, 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 they put me in police stations and kept me there for hours interrogating me, trying to intimidate me. But I'm just, you know, I knew it was Satan. See, it was not them. And when I prayed, I prayed against Satan. Our battle is not, I said, this, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with spiritual forces. Those are just men. Maybe they're under the influence of, of demonic forces, but they are just men in our battles with spiritual forces. And, you know, you know you've got to have that attitude. Now I'll go this way. Yes, there is a role for the government, but that role is limited. That role is limited. Jesus says, render to God the things that are God. And that role is not forever. The kingdom of God will come and there will not be no more government. It has an important role. You know? And so we as believers need to understand the role that we're in. We are citizens of this kingdom of man and we, can, we are citizens of this country and we should be good citizens, and we can exercise our right as citizens to redress our government, or we, we also are citizens of the kingdom of God, and, and, and we are to preach grace to everyone. To everyone we are to preach grace. Everyone. We are to preach the gospel of grace. Everyone can be saved. Um, okay, that's, that's enough of that. Third authority. i got to go this fast. Third authority. But see, see, Jesus answered their question. It's not either one, it's both. Okay, third authority. This is the authority of our rational mind and all that we can know and explain only by the ability of our mind. Now, this is a big barrier. Let's go to Matthew 22. I gotta get, oh, wow. Matthew 22, 33. This is the last, actually, there's two questions. Matthew 22, 33. And the same day the Sadducees came to him, that says there was no resurrection, they asked him a question. Okay, this is their turn. If a man dies, having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children to his brother. This is like this Israelite law of Levite marriage where you, you in regards to property, you would marry the, the, the man's widow if you were one of the brothers, you know. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. Praise the Lord. In the resurrection, therefore, to which of the seven will she be wife? For they all had her. Okay, the Sadducees did not believe that which they could not explain with their mind. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in supernatural acts like the resurrection from the dead. It was not rational. It was not explainable. It was not natural. This is like many people today. I cannot believe in God. I don't see him. This is not rational. Um, They're very much like the Sadducees in those days. And they thought that they got Jesus. Okay, <laughs> you say there's life after death. <laughs> you know, well, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, you have seven men married to one woman. They all die. And which one in the resurrection, which, which one of them gets her as his wife, you know? And, and, and Jesus' answer is this. Because that would be ridiculous, you know? I mean, which one? You know, well, verse 29, Matthew 22, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but, but, are, but are like the angels in heaven. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that it was said to you by God, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Again, he answers, and they thought they had him, and he astonishes them. Okay, first of all, speaking of authority, what's going to happen in heaven? They thought they knew what's going to happen in heaven. You're going to have these marriages and this problem with multiple, multiple spouses in, in heaven. Jesus, Jesus came from heaven, okay? So he has the authority to speak about what happens in heaven. Get it? See? And that's what he's saying there. I'm going to tell you, this is why the authority of Jesus is so important. Um, there is no human marriage in heaven. We have a different relationship with those that were our spouse on earth. Now, some people are saying, oh, that's too bad, I want to... Other people are going, praise the Lord. But this is... <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand how it is. Like, I will know someone that was my wife, but I won't know them in the same way. I don't... But that's what he's saying here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Verse 29, Jesus answered him, you are wrong... So, but look what Jesus says. You, you don't know the scriptures... You don't know enough. See, again, their thing was my mind. It's what my mind knows. I and mean, we have a brilliant mind as men and women, right? We, and some people, we, we, especially nowadays, we just know so much. Our knowledge has increased. We, we have technology. We know so much. And it's like belief in, in, in an invisible God, that's, that's ridiculous. There's no evidence of that. My mind can't believe it. And he's saying, you are wrong because you don't know. Your mind doesn't know enough. Basically, your mind is limited. You don't know the scriptures for one thing. The scriptures are a revelation of God. None of us with our own mind can ever come up with the truth of God. Like I said, people in their own mind devise all kinds of things. We don't know anything about the invisible world. We don't know anything about the eternal world with our mind. We can't. We don't know anything about the future with our own mind. We don't have that capacity. But the scriptures tell us. You know, so we have to know the scriptures if we want to know the answer to bigger questions about, like, heaven. And if you reject the scriptures, like the Sadducees did, except for the first books of the Bible, it pretty much rejected the scriptures, you are very much limiting yourself. See, people think, I can only believe what I can see or feel or what my rational mind can conceive. I can't believe in, in a religion or a God or Christianity because my, my, my mind cannot go there. I, I'm too... My, they think they're so smart, and it's, it's, not, it's not rational. It's not... It's, your, your, your mind is pretty limited. You don't realize how limited your mind is, and you're limiting yourself. Your mind becomes the limit of everything in your life. Would you like that where your mind becomes the limit? Your own mind or man's mind becomes the limit of everything in your life. Realize how small that is. It's very small. We don't know as much as we like to think we know. Like only man and man alone is the limit of my understanding. So Jesus says, you're, you, don't, you, don't, you just don't know enough when you have that attitude. And you don't know the power of God. Again, you believe only what is possible with man and his power and nothing more. There's lots of people like that. Only what man can do, nothing more. There is no supernatural world. You're, the limit is man's power. The limit is man's knowledge. It's so little when you think about it. It's so little. And, we are fa- and the fact that we are fallen distorts it tremendously. So, you know, that's what Jesus is saying. And here's another example of this false authority of, you know, only what my mind can understand. And it, it, this keeps people from believing in God. This keeps people from, from living by faith. This keeps, it actually causes some people to, after many years, 
they just fall away from God. Matthew, well, Matthew 24, 34, 22, 34, they, they ask him the same que- another question on this same point. 22:34. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked them the question to test him. Now they got a lawyer. Now they can really get him. Okay. Uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And the verse 41 says, Now the Pharisees were gathered together. After Jesus answered this question, they said, oh, They gathered together. Why? And what, why did they ask him this question? I think I know. Um, Jesus and Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. But you know what? Why were they discussing answer? Because Jesus, Jesus omitted the first part of that verse. The first part of that verse is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Jesus didn't say that first part. And I, I imagine they're saying, Hey, did you notice he didn't say that first part? And I think I know Why? because of what goes on, because of the context of what goes on. Jesus, um, they heard Jesus many times claim that he was one with the Father, that he was the Son of God, that he, as a man, was God. You know, but wait a minute, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One, one Lord. And they said to him, you know, you know how's he going to answer this? Because he claims to be God, so he's, He's, you know, he's telling a lie because the, they believe, I guess they believe that the Messiah, when he comes, was only a man. So this is a contradiction of Deuteronomy 6.4. And he didn't even, and that's why he didn't even mention it, maybe. I don't know. It's the Trinity, you know. Here's another thing. You know, we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And that's another thing where people are like, you know, I can't understand that. And they don't believe for that reason. And even there's um, people that form false uh, sects of Christianity that, 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 re, that take, up, take out the Trinity, they just can't believe it. You know, and, and again, my mind, three persons, one God, I can't receive it. It's again, only what I can understand and explain is what I will believe. Well, Jesus does an interesting answer here. He saw they were gathered together. He knew what they were thinking. In verse 41, he says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, they knew. They said to him, David, that's the Messiah. He's the son of David. The Messiah is a man, a descendant of David. And he said to them, how is it that David then, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put the enemies under thy feet. Now, he's quoting a psalm. They recognized it as a messianic psalm. You know, okay, David's a man, his... his his son, his, the Messiah is his son, his descendant. That he's a man. Okay. Well, how is it then that David says of the Messiah, the Lord, that's the Father, said to my Lord, that's the Messiah. Now, you know he's referring, they're referring to Messiah. David said, he's my son. Of course, he's my son. But he's also my Lord. David said this inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, it's a, it's a clear reference in the Old Testament that the Messiah was also God. Sit at my right hand, 
if David calls him Lord, in other words, if David calls this Messiah God, verse 45, how is he then his son? Okay, if he's God, okay, the Messiah is God, how is he also David's son? See, they're, you know, it's because he's a man and he's also God. Brilliant answer by Jesus. Do you get, do you get what he's saying there? Okay. And no one was able to answer my word, nor from that day on did anyone more answer ask him any more questions. (laughs) Well, that failed. All right, I'm going to conclude now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm supposed to conclude. So we see these three authorities, the authority of our own desires and goals, the authority of human governments and institutions over us, the authority of a rational mind and all that we can know or explain by the ability of our mind. We see their limits, and you see their problem. In all these, when people have these authorities as the ultimate authority when they decide about God, what are they failing? They're failing to lay the cornerstone, right? These things have become their cornerstone, and it's not, it's not the cornerstone of Jesus. So I want to encourage you today, if you maybe have doubts about God, maybe, I, I don't know if I can believe in God, think about it, okay? Um, is, there a, is there a false authority? I'm not going to say a false, but an improper authority in your life. You have to realize that the authority of God is manifested in Jesus. Even these Pharisees recognized it. You say, give me some witnesses that said Jesus was, was truly what he says. These guys, the enemies recognized it, but they did not believe in it because they let these things control them. Don't you let those things control you. I, I was gonna go. I was gonna go to another. There's another. I, I gotta. I'm supposed to end right now. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Matthew 10:28. I, I skipped over this parable. Matthew 20. 20. Wait, wait. 20. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't think about this. Matthew 10:28. Uh, it's like, see about the limitation. I'm gonna skip that one. Okay. Matthew 21:28. I, I, I could have gone there, but it's just, I just, Matthew 21, 20. What do you think? Jesus, you know, we skipped this earlier. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And they answered, I will not. But afterwards, he repented and went. And he said to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, I see, there's people like the, the first one. They're sinners. They know they're sinners. And they come to the truth of God. You know, and of course, they're well, the first thing, the first time that God says something to them, they say, "No, I don't believe in you." But they they've discovered the truth. Something and God's truth, the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, specifically the sin of unbelief. That's in John 16, and people then need to respond to that. And these people said, "Okay, I believe it now. I've discovered that this is the truth," and they went, they went, they went. Okay. Even though before they said no. Well, they're honest. They're honest people. No, I don't believe in it. I believe in it. I better do something about it. Okay? Second group. They see the truth of God. Yeah, 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 I believe that. I'll go. You know, I'll follow God. But see, there was something else governing them. These are the Pharisees or the other Jewish leaders. Something else governing them. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer. 
but there's still something else that's governing them, and it's hindering their faith. They have not laid the cornerstone. What, and what did they do? In the end, they didn't go. They didn't go. Because although they recognized the truth, they didn't believe in it. I hope that's, I think that's what Jesus is saying there. There is a truth. Do you notice that we often have questions of God? We often question, you know, what's the answer to this? What's the answer to this, God? What's the answer to this? And, and the Bible doesn't. Did you see Jesus here answer three or four very important questions that people have? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? That means that other questions that you may have by Jesus, I mean, by other questions you may have, there is an answer. Maybe we won't get them, maybe we will. But Jesus answered questions today, and he, and he gave revelation. Jesus will answer your question, but if he doesn't, you're just going to have to trust him that there is an answer. It's here. And maybe you won't get the exact answer to your question, but you trust him, okay? He gives you what you need. He gives you what he feels you can handle. But again, when the truth comes to you, I'll conclude with this, when the truth comes to you and you know it's truth, and we can, we have that capacity, the truth of God, um, you recognize it, follow it, no matter the consequences. Follow it. In the end, it would be good. Follow it. Don't be like these Jewish leaders. Well, I recognize the truth, but I'm not going to follow. That is dangerous. You can be deceived. Okay? Let's pray.